Hello, and welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network. Uh, I am your host, Doug. Today is February 23rd, Friday, and uh, with me in the studio, virtual studio from all across the planet, are Elliot, Tiffany, and Erica. Welcome, everybody. Hello. 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 <laughs> so today on the Health and Wellness Show, we're going to be talking about the Controversial topic of caffeine. Hello, darkness, my old friend. The ups and downs of caffeine. So, caffeine is the most popular mood-altering drug in the world and a daily habit for millions or maybe even billions of people. Whether it's savored in coffee, sipped in tea, devoured in chocolate, downed in cola or other various energy drinks, we can't seem to get enough. So, today we're going to be talking about caffeine along with all the different things that go with it, the ups and the downs. So, guys. We're especially going to be talking about coffee. <laughs> well, for sure. Yeah. For, surely. for sure. I think I that's if probably that's the most. favorite. But if you count kids into this, I think we have to yeah. talk about chocolate a lot, too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it's kind of funny because coffee is certainly considered an adult drink. But um, kids are getting it too, like especially kids who are drinking soda regularly yeah. and chocolate, like you mentioned. Like, and then you could take into account all the energy drinks and stuff like that that are coming out. And I know kids are like just getting jacked on those things all the time. Mm-hmm. And even the stimulants like guarana root, which is in a very popular mm-hmm. kind of uh, ice cream or uh, shake called. Uh, Oh, no, I just lost what it was. Mm. Acai. Mm. The acai, mm. have you guys heard of that? It's a Brazilian berry. berry. Yeah, yeah, so they yeah. make like yeah. ice cream out of it or a smoothie. And it's got Does it have caffeine, it acai? Caffeine, but it yeah, has garana root, so it's like a stimulant. It's oh. so kind of like mate, where it's mm. it's three to five times stronger than caffeine. Mm. So What? Yeah. Jeez. And I say that huh. about kids because a lot of times parents think, oh, I'm going to give my kid this healthy uh, acai berry shake, and then the kid just goes crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's just and it's funny, too, because I don't feel like kids really need stimulants in a lot of cases. <laughs> like, kids, yeah, tend to be uh, pretty crazy and energetic anyway. Um, and I think, uh, you know, especially with the crap that's put into a lot of food, a lot of times the kid's reaction to that is to get super stimulated. I'm thinking of like food dyes and things like that, where they've actually done some studies on like processed food ingredients and it just makes kids go absolutely crazy. So to add caffeine on top of that is pretty, pretty crazy. An added note to that though, is when you think about kids that are hyperactive or attention deficit and they give them uh, Ritalin or Adderall, which is basically yeah. speed. And yeah, it but doesn't the, it slows the kids down? Though. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's opposite effect. Because I will say I have, I have heard tried of that with coffee and caffeine for hyperactive children. <laughs> tried it, <laughs> experimented. <laughs> did it work? Did it work? Yes, actually, it did. <laughs> it's kind of crazy because it's like it's one of those things where there seems to be like a certain subset of people who react in the complete opposite way that you would expect on various things like including like herbs and stuff like you know uh valerian root mm-hmm. is supposed to be like a very calming help you sleep kind of herb but there are people who get jacked on it 
Like it's, it's a small subset, but it's, it's, it's like this thing where like people have the absolute opposite effect. And I've heard of people like that with caffeine as well. Like certain people will take caffeine, like have a cup of coffee or something like that and fall asleep. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, one of my lecturers says that she, she can have a coffee just before going to bed, like literally like a few minutes before going to bed. And then she says it helps her sleep. I, I can't get... Oh, he left. Oh. <laughs> he had Did to get another Elliot? cup of coffee. Yeah, we lost Elliot. <laughs> we lost Elliot. Okay. Well, anyway. So, it's, it seems well, they, like caffeine is very... Sorry? Well, they put caffeine in all these weight loss supplements, too. Because it allegedly speeds mm. up your metabolism. Yeah. 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 What, what, well, what, what, uh, what those no dose? Yeah, no dose, and some other yeah. one whose name I don't recognize. Yeah. Well, they put it in cough syrup and stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. And they put it in some pain relieving medications because it's supposed to boost the pain relieving effects. Mm. Like Excedrin has mm-hmm. caffeine in it, and so does Midol. Oh, yeah. Which for it kind of brings up an in. <laughs> That's yeah. for the ladies. Yeah. Going back to last week's show, <laughs> but it kind of brings up an interesting question because it's like, a, it is caffeine actually a drug? Yeah, it is a central it's kind nervous of like it's, stimulant. It's not as potent yeah. as street drugs, but it does have an effect. Right. A drug-like effect, yeah. It's interesting, though, because um, it, there seems to be some controversy over whether or not it's actually addictive. Because, you know, some people certainly consider it addictive, like they don't function without their morning cup of coffee. And um, it seems to have some sort of addictive properties. It's even in the DSM-5, like coffee withdrawal <laughs> is like a kind of a new kind of crazy, apparently. Mm-hmm. But... Um, experts on addiction say that it is not actually addictive because, you know, while you might suffer some effects if you go without your coffee, you usually like you're over that in a couple of days. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the one example I read was kind of like, well, if coffee is addictive, have you ever known anybody to kind of hold up a store to get money for coffee? (laughs) Um, It doesn't usually happen that way. An added note to that though is if you've ever been in line to purchase coffee and people are super on edge and mm. unpleasant, or if you've ever served coffee to the public mm-hmm. and people are snippy and impatient. And so people do say they use the words addicted when they're talking about coffee. I'm addicted yeah. to coffee. I have to have my coffee. Don't talk to me before I have my coffee in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there certainly seems to be a certain level of dependence there. But I mean, I myself decided at one point. Uh, fairly recently that I wanted to kind of cut coffee for a while. So I cut it out for, it was probably close to a month. And I really didn't notice that much. Like I wasn't, you know, the the withdrawal symptoms went, you know, at first I was kind of irritable and whatever. But I kind of, I after a couple of days, it was like I was back to pretty normal functioning. So I don't know if that is just me and I, I'm not, you know, somebody who requires it and, and develops a dependence on it. But yeah, and when I went back to it, I didn't really notice that much either. So it, it to me, it doesn't seem like it's it's an addictive 
it's certainly not addictive in the same way that that other drugs are. I would say. I think it's like I mean, a habit. Mm. It's a habit, like smoking. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes habitual. Yeah. But I, I mean, heard wait, people did, talk did, about quitting coffee and they have headaches and they're very irritable. Mm-hmm. My, my my question is here is where do you draw the line between calling something a drug and calling something a nutrient? You know, because mm-hmm. there there's, there seems to be a crossover in many different contexts. So, for instance, a vitamin mm, is considered a nutrient, but it could also be considered a drug in certain circumstances. You know, for mm. instance, you've got someone who, um, say, for instance, they have something like refeeding syndrome. You administer intravenous vitamin B1, um, mm. and that almost acts like a drug in that instance, whereas normally you would get vitamin B1 from your diet. And mm. it's all, you know, it's similar. Other vitamins like vitamin D and vitamin A also have hormone-like properties. So mm-hmm. people call them nutrients, but they're actually also endogenous hormones. So taking a vitamin A supplement, you could say, well, you're taking a nutrient supplement, but you're also kind of taking a hormone. And a hormone is kind of classed as a drug. Yes? Yeah. So, so, so how, how do we classify a drug? I mean, there's, <laughs> Ray Pete goes so far as to talk about how he thinks that caffeine is similar to a vitamin. In that really? it's not yeah in in that it's not only necessarily just a stimulant, but it also possesses so many other properties that hormones and vitamins have as as well. So it's mm-hmm. like maybe it's a, a question of semantics. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, to me it seems like if something's going to be a, a vitamin. It it has to be something that the body actually depends on and will die without. And we know that caffeine doesn't really uh, fit into that category because there are plenty of people who don't get caffeine in their diet. So to to me that seems like it seems a bit of a stretch to call um, caffeine of uh, like a vitamin or a nutrient. But I don't know. Like maybe maybe it is just semantics. Maybe uh, there's more to it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree because a vitamin is the definition of it is something that is is absolutely essential. But yeah. in terms of yeah. nutrients, well, you have phytochemicals and things which aren't mm. actually essential, but they're still considered right. to be nutrients. So, is caffeine a nutrient for some people? Does it benefit them in a way that a phytonutrient would, or is it mm. that it's just like a drug? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe that's it. Maybe it just depends on the individual and what their specific needs are or what their deficits are, whether they will benefit from coffee or whether they will just experience a bunch of side effects. Mm. Yeah. Well, maybe we should mention that in some of the reading we did that caffeine resembles uh, the brain chemical, is it andesine? Adenosine. Adenosine, the neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. So when the caffeine molecules uh, take place um, uh, of the andesine and bind to receptors in the brain, it blocks the sleep-inducing actions. Yeah. So I don't know. Which is why it kind of wakes you up. Mm-hmm. It's kind of binding. So it's, it, it has a natural affinity for those adenosine uh, receptors and will attach to them. So that blocks the natural adenosine from actually binding and making you tired. For some people, yeah, it, though. 
And an easy way to think of that is that basically when your brain works really hard, it produces loads of byproducts and and one of those is is like a buildup of this adenosine. And so ideally before you go to bed at nighttime, there should be more adenosine to almost it almost conveys the message like you just said that okay, you've your brain's done a ton of work today, so you know, you're probably ready to go to sleep. Whereas when you have the coffee, it blocks that message. So it's like you can power through. Um, and that's probably one of the reasons that I think that's theorized to be the main reason why it has such like a stimulant like effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there are also people who are anti-coffee or anti-caffeine who say that too much coffee and I guess too much will need to be defined depending on the individual, but it can stimulate or overstimulate your adrenal glands to produce adrenaline and put your body yeah. into fight or flight mode. And it can also yeah. stimulate the production of norepinephrine and epinephrine. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's it... why some people get jittery when they drink yeah. coffee. I'd like, you know, I'd, I'd like to know, more about that actually and maybe Elliot can help us out here because um my own personal um experience with with coffee um you know before when I first started drinking coffee yeah if I had too much of it I would get super jittery and like out of control but I found that the quality of coffee seemed to matter a lot with that and you know there's Dave Asprey's kind of um what he says a lot is that a lot of the negative effects from coffee have nothing to do with the caffeine. It has more to do with it being a crappy quality of coffee and having a lot of mycotoxins and, you know, toxic substances that are actually causing the jitteriness and the, um, you know, overstimulation. And that if you have a good coffee that's just kind of got its caffeine in it, it doesn't usually have that kind of effect. And I've, I've kind of noticed that myself. So I wonder if the adrenal response has more to do with these other constituents that are in the coffee and not the caffeine itself. But I mean, I guess if, if somebody's doing a study on caffeine and not coffee mm-hmm. and they are finding that it causes an adrenal response, then I guess that throws that out the window. I think, uh, I think it's highly individualized. Like, so mm-hmm. there are certain genetic um, predispositions toward how how well someone tolerates c- caffeine or coffee mm-hmm. so there's a there's certain i mean there's a there's one polymorphism on the CYP1A2 gene <laughs> and what that means is basically basically when you drink coffee um it, it goes to the liver um and it's metabolized by the liver okay and so this particular and a gene is responsible for producing the proteins which metabolize it. And so what can happen is, is when someone has a genetic mutation in this specific gene, it means they can either metabolize it too fast or faster than ordinarily or mm-hmm. metabolize it slower. And so the people who metabolize it faster seem to be able to tolerate it much better. So they're the kinds of people who can, it, it means that the, the, the half-life will be reduced. So someone can drink a cup of coffee at 10 o'clock in the morning and it might, the caffeine, the effect of the caffeine may actually be halved within an hour. Um, mm. Whereas if you have someone with this, 
with a mutation in this gene, which means that you metabolize it slower, um, then what it means is, is that you can have a cup of coffee and you can still be feeling the effects of the caffeine 10, 10 hours later. Right. Um, right. And so I think that's that's one of the factors involved here. And that's probably one of the factors which governs whether someone becomes jittery or not. But on the topic of adrenaline, this is a really interesting one. Uh, and there's loads of different perspectives on this as to why certain people respond it, it sort of activates the fight or flight response in some people. And I've experimented with this myself. And what I've actually found is now, and it's been really difficult. I've had to, I've, I've had to be really strict with myself and change my whole morning routine uh, mm. completely. Mm. I used to wake up in the morning and drink a coffee first thing. And I used to absolutely love that morning coffee. And then what I started doing was uh, I tried an experiment and I started to have breakfast instead. So I'd always have a really big breakfast as soon as I wake up within like half an hour. And then maybe half an hour after that, then I would have my first coffee. And so the results that I found was that coffee, when I'd taken it before breakfast, um, sometimes it really did kind of activate that that adrenaline response. I, I you know, I'd get um, a fast heartbeat and I'd maybe become sweaty around the armpits and things. Mm. Whereas when I had it after breakfast, um, this does not happen. Full stop. This has not happened since I changed my routine. And so the only way that I can try to explain that, and it's sort of in line with what a couple of other people um, in the health health world sort of theorize, is that caffeine or, or other compounds in the coffee, probably the caffeine, uh, increase the metabolic rate. So they increase the rate by which you use sugar and fat, all right? Mm. So you imagine you go a whole night's sleep, and when you're sleeping throughout the night, what happens is you deplete, you deplete your store of liver glycogen, which is basically your store of sugar. Uh, so you wake up in the morning, and you need to replete that glycogen by eating mm. food, basically. Whereas you imagine if if... To put this in a in an explainable way, if you drink coffee and it raises your metabolic rate, then that means that you need the resources to meet that metabolic rate. You know, you're using fuel, you're using more fuel, so you need enough fuel to be able to burn that fuel. Yeah, mm-hmm. it does, are you following? So, mm-hmm. so if you have it before having a meal the chances are you've not got much liver glycogen. And so what happens is, is when your body determines that it doesn't have enough fuel to meet the requirement, then it activates the fight or flight response. And that is partly why adrenaline and cortisol are released is to Mm. meet, is to basically break down your stored tissue to meet the higher rate of metabolism. So in this context, if you drink a coffee after breakfast, you are theoretically... Um, in a state where you have enough fuel to be able to meet the requirement and you won't have to rely on the fight or flight response to do that. Mm-hmm. But what if somebody is in fat burning mode, right, where they're like ketogenic, then would the would the body still activate the fight or flight response or would it just, you know, burn more stored fat? I have absolutely no idea. I haven't <laughs> done it when I've been in ketosis. I, I mm. think That's that change that changes the whole game. <laughs> yeah, I think that changes it. I would imagine that you'd probably be less susceptible to 
undergoing a stress response if you were in ketosis mm-hmm. because the yeah. main the main fuel that coffee actually activates is is it activates fat burning it does mm. activate carbo- sugar burning to some extent um but it really just increases lipolysis so and that's not just a, an adrenaline mediated phenomena that that is actually at the cellular level so i think that i I, I don't know, but I would imagine sort of theoretically, if you're in ketosis, then you might be less likely to get stressed from coffee. But someone mm. else would have to try and verify that because I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, I agree with what you're saying, Elliot, um, about waking up first thing and drinking it. And and so I, I drink coffee. <laughs> um I used to drink a lot more, but I would get up in the morning, do the same thing, drink coffee first. And I'd start having all those you know, the symptoms that you talked about. But then I realized that it would be best to eat breakfast first mm. and then have the coffee and didn't have any of those side effects. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And yeah. I, I notice a lot of people drink coffee and then don't eat at all, too. Yeah. And it's almost like a an appetite suppressant. Well, I used to do that, actually, when I was more hardcore keto and... um a much more avid reader of Dave Asprey. And I would like wake up in the morning, have my butter coffee with the MCT oil and everything. And then I would, because the, the, what he would say is that that's, that doesn't break your fast. As long as all you're having is fat, you don't actually break your fast. So I, I imagined that I was kind of in a fasted state and maintained that until lunchtime. But um, since then, it's kind of come about with further research that people are saying, no, you aren't maintaining your fasted state. Um, even if you only have fat, that if you have anything, you are kind of activating the body's, you know, enzymes, etc. To uh, like it, you, it's no longer your body doesn't feel like it's fasted at that point. Mm-hmm. So I've uh, I stopped doing that kind of a while ago. But um, yeah, I would I would kind of go uh, just on coffee until like noon, one o'clock, something like that. And although I was fine with that, I don't know if it was the best thing for me. Yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of people also drink coffee, whether they're addicted, and I use uh, air quotes for that, (laughs) addicted or not, but Mm -hmm. uh, they have the habit of drinking coffee because they notice that coffee helps them to have a bowel movement in the morning. I know a lot of people who do that. And actually, there is truth to that, not just because of their anecdotal testimonies, but uh, I think it was in the early 1900s or the 1800s, uh, well, probably after the advent of bowel surgeries, but they mm-hmm. noticed the doctors in hospitals, after a patient had bowel surgery, they would have them drink coffee because mm-hmm. it woke their bowels up and they were able to have a bowel movement and take food and they could be discharged from the hospital earlier versus patients who just drank water. Uh, it will be like a day or two difference between them having a bowel movement and being able to eat. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely noticed that. It's, it's Me too. Me too. prokinetic in, in that sense. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's great if someone tends toward being constipated or something. You know, um, in some of the protocols I've looked for for sort of uh, different digestive issues, you know, if someone's got small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and the idea is that you want to promote that 
prokinetic action of the small intestine, <laughs> one of the recommendations is to drink coffee. And I find mm. that definitely helps. It gets you going in the morning every day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I am not a coffee drinker. I <gasps> never, <gasps> I never really got the taste for it. It's probably because I tasted my mother's coffee when I was a little girl and found it to be utterly disgusting. But, uh, the coffee that she drank was utterly disgusting. I mean, she <laughs> drank like Folgers crystals instead, oh. and then like dump like powdered coffee creamer, and it. it was really nasty. Ugh. With a little saccharin. Yeah. Those <laughs> <laughs> table sugar. But I have experimented from time to time uh, within the last few years with uh, butter or bulletproof mm. coffee. And that tasted okay to me. But on my own, I've never had any, like, Folgers crystals or that instant coffee. It's always been organically grown, mm-hmm. whole beans ground, and then prepared. Mm-hmm. So it's been yeah. technically good coffee. But I don't like coffee unless it's butter coffee. And even yeah. when I do do an experiment for a while, I drink coffee in the morning. It's not every day. And then eventually I just get tired of it and I stop drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're just not the type to be uh, into coffee at all. Type. But all this well, the funny thing- coffee makes me want to have a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm a regular coffee drinker. I drink it every day, and I do always do the butter butter thing. And the, the thing is, like, I I didn't start drinking coffee until later. Like, when I was in uh, college, like, every like a lot of people in college with me were regular coffee drinkers, and I just never got into it. It wasn't until kind of many years later when I kind of got into the brunch thing, going to brunch with people, and everybody like it was actually I remember it was one day the waitress didn't even ask, just brought coffees for everybody. And I was kind of like, well, all right, I guess I'll have some coffee. And it's like that was the, you know, the tipping point. Well, not tipping point, but whatever you want to say, that was the catalyst. I was kind of like, oh, actually, this is pretty good. Of course, I had dumped cream and sugar into it and made it taste more like a, I don't know, like a hot chocolate or something like that. (laughs) But that kind of started me off. Then when I went to nutrition school, I heard all this stuff, coffee's bad, coffee's bad. And we can probably get into some of that stuff. But they, you know, we're very anti-coffee there. And um, so I quit. And it wasn't until the whole butter coffee phenomenon came about that I actually started, uh, I went back to it and started doing it. And then now kind of to this day, I keep on, like every morning I do myself a butter coffee. Well, somebody in our chat is asking about mate. Ah, uh, yeah. And we I actually have about, mate with me right now. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about mate before the show. And I think that it's definitely an acquired taste. Doug, how did you yeah. describe it? Um, I described it by if you like took a lawnmower and scraped off all that grass, that pulp <laughs> that kind of comes from underneath, and you put that into a cup and put hot water on it and sipped it with a straw, that's pretty close to what you're getting. <laughs> now, that would be very insulting to a lot of mate drinkers out there because I know mate is like a big thing in some cultures and people really really like it. I don't really like the taste, although I have to say you get really jacked on it. Like I had some earlier today just because I wanted to experiment for the show and I got like really spun. Let's just say that it's uh it's powerful stuff. I don't like the taste though. Now does it have caffeine in it? Is it 
Caffeine that's in mate. Yeah, although it is apparently less than coffee. Like, I think, um, I can't remember the exact measurement, but something like a cup of coffee has five milligrams of caffeine and mate only has two or something. It's something like that. I don't remember the exact measurements, but it's like mate has less than half what coffee has. Well, I just some stats here from the FDA, which they say they consider 400 milligrams uh, a safe amount of caffeine for mm. adults, and a cup of coffee has 100 to 200 milligrams. <laughs> a cup of tea has 70 milligrams, and a soda has less than 50. Mm. I obviously had that measurement wrong then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how reliable the FDA is, but... <laughs> no, that's probably. I think that's probably pretty accurate. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. We have a lot of people chiming in on the uh, chat about mate right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of people apparently have acquired the uh, the taste for it. I just found it really bitter. Yeah, but then of course so is coffee. Coffee is quite bitter as well. But I don't know. Maybe you could try butter mate <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> or butter tea. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. well, a lot of people do that, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I find after drinking mate, um, I think, well, f- well, for me, I feel like I have to go and lift some weights or something or run six miles because it's <laughs> it's one of those things which, kind of <laughs> which, which just gets you really going. With coffee, I don't find that it, it causes, causes that effect. It just kind of um, gives me some increased concentration i feel like i can sit and you know write a book or something whereas with the with the mate uh maybe maybe it's because you know it's my i guess where i'm from northern europe uh i don't think that that my ancestors would have had much access to mate but then again (laughs) when when did they first get coffee i mean coffee where did coffee came from south america right Jonathan yeah. was going to share that on the show today. Well, I think that I read that there was some farmer. I don't know if he was in South America or, or Africa somewhere. Might have been in Kenya. But uh, he he was a shepherd, and he noticed that his animals were I think eating. It was goats. Well, okay. Yeah, goats. A goat herd then. And he noticed that his goats were eating coffee beans and they seemed like full of energy and they were running around and playing. And then uh, I guess he decided that he would try and experiment with eating coffee beans. And then there was another story where some monks noticed the same things with their animals and they decided to take the coffee beans and brew a tea out of it. And that's how Mm. coffee spread all around the world boys and girls hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah well one I of our know. chatters I'm... said i thought it was in saudi arabia or some middle eastern origin and i'm wondering if that's right because it's called arabica hmm. that's right yeah okay could be I, I i imagine the goat story is probably like probably not true I mean, you know, just the odds of it being true are generally not not very good. But, I mean, it could be something like that. Yeah. Oh, and another chatter has told us that the Pope actually drinks mate, so it must be okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is one of the most valuable and widely traded commodity crops in the world. Yeah. 
I can imagine. I, it's just so like you know, it's kind of crazy when you think about how uh, how much it is actually drunk. Like in it, like around the world, it's kind of like you know, North America, uh, South America, Europe. Like I don't know in in Asia and stuff like that. Do they drink coffee? I don't know. I, I, I imagine they probably more do. More tea. It's more green tea. Oh, that's right. Yeah, green tea and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's just like the caffeine habit of the planet is like there. Anybody in like Tiff's category who just doesn't do caffeine, it's got to be a really slim minority, I would have to say. But I will say, as a coffee drinker, and I have mixed sensations, as I was sharing earlier, if I drink it before I eat or after I eat or middle of the day, or but when I drink green tea, I get way more side effects of the stimulants of the caffeine from green tea than I do from coffee. Yeah. That's just me. Well, my experiment well, with mate today was pretty similar. <laughs> <laughs> I felt way more jacked on the mate than I ever do on coffee, so I don't know. Maybe yeah, it's the other it, components that are within your caffeinated beverage that can attenuate or exacerbate the mm-hmm. effects of it. Yeah, I was just about to say that because in all of those drinks like tea, mate, coffee – Anything that's caffeinated, it's not just the caffeine mm-hmm. um, in in the product. It's like, I mean, some of these, I mean, for instance, coffee, it's absolutely packed with all these different flavonoids and polyphenols and all mm. like the cocoa bean. It's packed w- with so many other nutrients. And when you think about like the synergistic effect of, of those nutrients, maybe what they do is either increase or decrease the 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 bioavailability of the caffeine or maybe there's also stimulant effects in certain other compounds in that particular plant which we haven't even discovered yet i mean Mm. who knows but like i i can definitely agree that when i drink mate it seems like there's a a hell load more caffeine than there is in coffee but when you look at it on paper uh, that doesn't seem to be the case um but but then again also i i think when we look at the health benefits shortly of, of, of that are typically ascribed to caffeine, I think probably a lot of those are due to the other nutrients as well as the caffeine. Because when mm. you look at research, when you look at studies, for instance, say you see a study saying, you know, um, coffee reduces risk of heart disease or something. Mm. But then if you were to isolate the caffeine, when they do research experiments, the caffeine doesn't have the same effect. So right. it seems to be it seems to be the whole the whole thing. The yeah. whole, you know. Which I think is a, it, typical of a lot of different herbal medicines. It's like they, they think they've found the kind of the active ingredient, but then when they isolate it, it doesn't have it might still have an effect but not as powerful or it might not have an effect at all. And I think that uh, there's definitely a synergy between different compounds in a lot of plants that are actually having the effect. I think that can be said for valerian root, for sure. Yeah. And I Mm -hmm. think that also contributes to the confusion about whether or not coffee is good for you or bad for you. Because one day you'll read a, a study saying that, oh, it does, you know, good things for your liver. And then you'll read a study where... Oh, it raises your blood pressure and burns out your adrenals. So mm-hmm. it's really hard to know. And yes, yeah. I, I still think it comes down to the whole bean or the whole plant versus one active constituent. And then you have to add 
that each person is an individual and they will react in different ways. And I think it goes yeah. to the quality too that Doug was talking about earlier and even one of our chatters about how it's grown, mm-hmm. you know, how it's processed. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if a lot of people know, but Starbucks kind of gained its fame because they burn the crap out of the beans and people <laughs> like that really burnt taste. But it is the it's like straight speed, I think. I call mm-hmm. it bitch coffee. Just saying. <laughs> it seems to have like a next level way of affecting people, me mm-hmm. in particular. Whereas mm. something that is organically grown, like Tiffany said, or you know the quality of it. And I think I've shared this on a show in the past, but a lot of people don't realize that when beans come from other countries like South America, they sit in vats of liquid pesticides. Oh, So oh. when they roast it, I mean, yes, maybe you get some of that pesticides off of it, but I've always wondered if that's why... If you drink like in America 7-Eleven coffee and you're just amped out of your mind and you're walking around cleaning the house with a toothbrush, you know, maybe that (laughs) is all the, you're you're high on the chemicals, Mm -hmm. the neurotoxins that were used in the whole production process, so. It could be that, and it could also be the mycotoxins as well. I mean, mycotoxins are like a, a mold that basically grows on like tons of different like dried foods and stuff, including like grains, coffee, cocoa beans, like all these different kinds of things can be completely um, overrun with these mycotoxins. And there was actually a recent headline that said they, they tested 100 different brands of Spanish commercial coffee. And like all of them had mycotoxin contamination. Some of them it was like six times the acceptable level. So, yeah, I think if you're not getting quality in a lot of cases, like, yeah, it could be pesticides, could be mycotoxins, who knows? Mm. So, yeah. Well, do we want to listen to this clip? It's uh, from Dr. Josh Axe, and he's talking about whether coffee is good for you or if it's bad for you. Yes. Hey guys, Dr. Axe here. I'm founder of DrAxe.com, one of the largest natural health websites in the world. And one of the most common questions I've been getting on my Facebook page as well as uh, my webpage recently is, people have been asking, Dr. Axe, is coffee good for me or is coffee good for you? And the answer is yes and no. There's a lot of research actually that's come up, uh, been coming out on coffee, and coffee is one of the most popular beverages around the world today. But let me first talk about why coffee can be good for you and then also why it can be bad for you. For for starters, one of the biggest reasons why coffee is beneficial is because it contains massive amounts of antioxidants. And, you know, one of the things that we're exposed to all around the world today is, is, is large levels of toxicity. And so antioxidants can really help and slow the aging process. They can help protect your cells against free radical damage. And coffee is actually one of the five highest foods in antioxidants in the world today. So again, coffee, incredible in terms of its antioxidants. Also, coffee increases circulation and can stimulate the liver. So it can actually has maybe some supportive benefits for the liver, increases circulation. It's been shown to improve overall exercise. It's been shown to increase blood flow to the brain. So for those reasons, because of the massive amount of antioxidants and the increase in circulation, That's where the benefits of coffee come from. Now, here are the negatives of coffee. The big thing is caffeine, and consuming that much caffeine can have a 
kind of an addictive side effect as well as it can overstimulate the body and it can burn out your adrenal glands and really overtax your body. And so that's the big negative. And for a country in America and then across the world, 80% of people will suffer with some form of fatigue or adrenal fatigue sometime in their life. And because of that, if somebody is struggling with fatigue on a regular basis or has thyroid issues, adrenal issues, or hormonal issues, for that reason, I do not recommend those people consume coffee because of all of the caffeine that you're going to find there. And again, that caffeine is really the main issue with coffee is that it will burn out your adrenal glands. And think about this. Do you think you were created to uh, rely on stimulants all the time? And that's really what caffeine is. It's a stimulant. So doing large amounts of caffeine is not good at all for people with adrenal fatigue, thyroid problems, or people with even autoimmune disorders or other chronic illness. I do not recommend coffee for those people. But if you're already generally healthy, or let's say you just struggle with some circulation issues, or you're trying to support the brain and you don't have autoimmune disease, or any type of thyroid or adrenal issue, in that case, consuming coffee in moderate amounts can be fine and even good for your health. Now, when you're consuming coffee, you need to consume it in the morning or before lunch. Because what happens if you start drinking it in the afternoon or especially in the evening, uh, the, the life of coffee and the caffeine and how long it will affect your body can be around 12 hours. And so if you're consuming it after, in, in the afternoon, it can definitely affect your sleep cycle that night. And not just you falling asleep, but your overall quality of sleep while you're trying to sleep that night. So again, is coffee good? Is it bad? You know, the truth is coffee, it, really, it just really depends on your body. It depends on if you have one of these conditions, coffee can make it worse versus if you're looking for a little bit of a pick-me-up, you're going to do it earlier in the day, you need more antioxidants and circulation. For those reasons, coffee can have some of those major health benefits. And when buying coffee, here's the other thing. You must buy organic natural coffee if you're going to consume it because coffee is one of the most highly sprayed plants in the entire world today. And I think really a better option than coffee in general as well is doing things like teas. Uh, matcha green tea, an amazing superfood that has about a third the amount of caffeine as coffee also white tea, rooibos tea, oolong tea. These are good teas as well that you may consider adding in. And most of those have about one third the amount of caffeine. So you could consume, uh, consume a, cup, a couple cups a day and you're actually going to be getting more benefits. And so that's what I would recommend overall. If you want to just get a little bit of caffeine and support your organs as well, then again, switching over to tea is your best option. But I know there's a lot of coffee lovers out there. So again, if your body does well with coffee, you do it earlier in the day and you do an organic brand, I think you're good to do coffee. But for other people, doing some herbal teas with some of those medicinal benefits is a better option. So this has been myself, Dr. Axe, answering your question, is coffee good for you? The answer is yes and no. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm going to have to disagree with him there. <laughs> I was just going to ask you about it, Elliot. I, I knew you were going to. Okay, go for it. Right. Um, so, <laughs> right. Yeah, so I think I agree with him that, you know, there's lots of antioxidants and things, but I'm going to wholeheartedly disagree with the idea that caffeine is what's wrong with the coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, because actually, like, I'm going to talk about a couple studies which have showed caffeine individually, not coffee, but caffeine to exert a number of benefits, like amazing benefits. And this is not 
people who drink tea or coffee or something this is like injections of caffeine directly into tissue <laughs> so, <laughs> so don't try so this you, at home yeah you, <laughs> no but you can't get you can't get it get away from that fact okay so mm-hmm. first of all um what i would like to say is that caffeine uh it's it's true that if you if you have it later on in the day it can mess up with the circadian rhythm um and that's because i don't know if it's necessarily just because of its stimulant effects but there's definitely some component of it which actually affects the circadian clocks so the clocks in the cells which um are able to tell the time the the circadian rhythm um it's like um they call it a phase advancement so it, it it can basically, it can help you in the morning. It can help reset your circadian clock to tell you it's daytime. But if you have it too late at night, it definitely does mess with that clock system. Um, another thing is, is something that he said um, about how it can burn out the adrenals. And I think that that's kind of misleading because the adrenals don't actually get burned out unless someone has like an adrenal cancer or something. So the idea that the adrenals will get burnt out is is not technically true. It's more to do with the dysregulation from the brain. Uh, so before cutting out coffee, I would probably look at other things like, you know, what's your sleep cycle like, what's your stress like, what's your diet like and that sort of stuff. Um, and then I would think about, you know, sort of blaming the coffee. <laughs> not that it doesn't benefit some people, but I'm just saying technically that that wasn't really correct. Um but so caffeine, right? So caffeine is really interesting. Um the way that it's metabolized by the body is via the liver and um on on the forum there was some talk a while back about um a particular drug called pentoxifilin. Mm-hmm. So this is part of what is called the xanthine family. Um, and so caffeine is also part of that family. Uh, that drug has been used. It, it, it's a, there's actually some fascinating research behind this drug, pentoxifilin. Uh, it's typically used to increase blood flow. Um, it does all sorts of things. But what it really does is it actually allows the cells to become more responsive to things like insulin. It, it allows it activates a, an enzyme called cyclic AMP. And what this does is basically allows the cell to take up more energy. So it's really good. Um, and caffeine seems to work in a similar way because it is part of the same family of molecules. Um, and so caffeine, um, when they have injected caffeine, what they've actually shown in in the brain, I, I don't think they injected it into the brain. They, they injected it into the abdomen. Um, but what it actually did was increases certain hormones in the brain, namely pregnenolone, allopregnenolone and progesterone. So these are anabolic hormones, which means that they build up tissue um, and they're considered really protective for the brain. So, for instance, in various diseases like Alzheimer's and dementia, there's several theorists who re- who, who basically theorize that these conditions um, involve a lack of these anabolic hormones. So there's a deficiency of these anabolic hormones and there's typically lots of stressful hormones like cortisol, which basically break down the brain tissue. So having um, having these, these brain chemicals is, is really quite important, I think, for brain health. Um, and so... Yeah, when when they injected the caffeine into the into the abdomen, they saw um, dose and time dependent increases uh, in the concentration of these hormones. 
So the researchers actually um, suggested toward the end of the study, they said these results suggest that the neuroactive steroids may modulate the stimulant and anxiogenic effects of caffeine. Um, so what they're saying is that basically the cognitive benefits that people um, that people experience from caffeine may not necessarily be due to the stimulant effect, but may actually be more of a hormonal effect uh, in the brain. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting because no one really knows about that. Uh, yeah. Another one is that caffeine, and this is not coffee, this is caffeine, uh, 150 milligram to 300 milligram daily protects against dementia um, amyotropic lateral sclerosis, so that's ALS, or in other words, Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, mm. Parkinson's disease, and Huntington's disease. So like we just saw how it's it seems to be really protective for the brain, uh, that can kind of, that seems to be the case for the, the entirety of the nervous system as well. Um, so that basically helps, um, it act activates a specific enzyme which helps the body to sort of get rid of misfolded proteins. So in uh, in these diseases, you may have heard of uh, tau proteins. These are like plaques that build up in the brain um, and are people's you know, talk about how Alzheimer's is, is like, um, insulin resistance of the brain. They say it's like type three diabetes, which well, it mm -hmm. also involves like, basically you imagine if you've got plaques in your arteries, well, it's similar to, to in your arteries, but it's actually in your brain. Um, and these are called tau plaques. And so caffeine actually activates an enzyme, which helps to break down these plaques. Um, and so this is probably one of the reasons why it's, there's been a negative, uh, correlation with coffee intake and then various neurological disorders. Uh, it's similar to cardiovascular disorders as well. So caffeine intake has also been negatively associated or negatively correlated. There's been an inverse association. So basically the people who drink more coffee or more caffeinated beverages actually have much better cardiovascular health um, overall. This wasn't known. Um, it's It's sort of... Because there was a lot of research in in sort of like the 80s and the 90s, which was suggesting the otherwise. But longer term studies have actually shown that th this wasn't technically true, um, and that it turns out that caffeinated beverages seem to have a cardio protective effect. Um, mm. Next, right? So caffeine and not coffee. <laughs> so caffeine <laughs> independently. Um, this also protects against something called quinolinic acid. So quinolinic acid is basically a compound. Uh, it's involved in the serotonin pathway. And so when the brain, when there's lots of inflammation in the brain, say there's like a leaky blood brain barrier or something, and you've got lots of toxicity in the brain, um, you will have elevations in something called quinolinic acid. And this is like a protective mechanism. But when this goes on for long periods of time, uh, it actually damages damages the mitochondria in the brain uh, and it can lead to something called Huntington, Huntington's disease mm. um, and so caffeine has actually been shown to protect against the effects of um, of quinolinic acid it actually reverses those effects I thought that was really interesting because that is not related to coffee well it is related to coffee but it's not due to antioxidants or whatever else that Dr. Axe was talking about um, another one for the males, which 
you probably should know about is that caffeine has an androgenic effect on the testicles. Um, so what this means, it basically allows, um, it increases the rate of respiration, increases the rate of energy production in the testicular cells, um, and it, it also increases testosterone and DHT. Um, so if you are, I mean, it, on that note, actually, since we're talking about hormones, um, another interesting thing about testosterone, well, testosterone is an anabolic steroid, okay? So it's used in rebuilding tissue, real rebuilding muscle. Generally, higher muscle mass it correlates with better health, okay? So this is important to understand. So you really want to try and optimize your anabolic steroids, okay? And one of the things which antagonizes this or blocks testosterone is estrogen so this is like what is known as the female hormone yeah and we are massively exposed to estrogens in our environment now and i think this is probably mostly because of the plastics and all of the gender bending chemicals that they put in the foods and everything and mm. so like it's been shown that glyphosate our listeners probably already know this but it's been shown that glyphosate, for instance, which is the pesticide um, roundup stuff that they spray on the crops, you can you can give glyphosate to a fish and you can turn them from a male to a female. You know, hmm. you can actually um, it's so potently estrogenic or they call it xenoestrogenic that it can actually switch the gender of, the, of animals. And so. um this I think this is having a similar effect in, in human beings. Not only does it affect your gender characteristics, but what it also does, the estrogen actually has lots of detrimental effects on the cell. We did a show about this a while ago, um, mm -hmm. so we don't need to go into that too much. But it's important to note that while caffeine increases testosterone production, it also is a potent anti-estrogenic. So... <clears throat> There was a study which um, was comparing caffeine to um, another drug, which is known as, uh, it's called fulvestrant. And this is like the most potent anti-estrogenic on the market. Um, and so caffeine actually surpassed this drug's ability to completely block estrogen receptors. Okay, so it's highly anti-estrogenic. And this is really important, not only for men, but also for women as well, because estrogen is being correlated with all sorts of breast cancers and everything like that. And so I think overall, like no one is deficient in estrogen necessarily. It's it's more like we we've got an overload of that. So caffeine seems to actually have a benefit in that regard as well. And I thought that was um that was interesting. Um, now another one, okay. And this is probably the most well-known um, fact of caffeine. And it seems to be coffee as well. So maybe it's due to the, uh, maybe it's due to the, the synergistic effect of the coffee, but it, it does also happen with caffeine. Uh, so it is massively liver protective. Okay. Mm -hmm. It can actually protect against liver disease and it can actually, it has been shown in animal studies, higher doses of caffeine can reverse non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Wow. So it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been, um, 
theorized that up to 70% of people who are obese may be suffering from some sort of fatty liver. Um, and that, that has all sorts of metabolic consequences. We don't need to go into that, but basically it's really bad. Okay. And so there is so many studies, probably hundreds of studies now showing that coffee or caffeine intake, um, decreases the risk of all sorts of liver conditions. So one um, showed a a statistically significant trend toward lower liver cirrhosis uh, with increasing exposure to coffee. So um, another one showed that, so it can, sorry, it showed daily caffeine consumption um, was associated with reduced liver fibrosis. Um, another one showed lower insulin resistance. So caffeine um, increased insulin sensitivity in the liver. That's really important because what that does is it blocks a process called gluconeogenesis. Um, I think that's systemic as well. So coffee does seem to actually improve insulin sensitivity in other parts of the body and not just the liver um another one i mean there's just so many here i've got i've got multiple but yeah i mean we don't need to go into all of these but basically uh yeah there's a lower risk of type 2 diabetes um yeah i mean there seems to be so many effects i could just list off hundreds but i'm not gonna do that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then basically extol the virtues of caffeine well, what they suggest is that caffeine has kind of been demonized, but it seems to have some sort of a therapeutic value. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just one more that I want to talk about. Sorry. <laughs> this one this one basically shows that caffeine protects uh, the blood-brain barrier from endotoxin. So, like, there's all this stuff about the blood-brain barrier and how you can protect it and all that sort of stuff. And so there's you've got this thing called endotoxin, or basically the bacteria in your gut, uh, they produce a metabolite or it's part of their shell and it basically gets released into the bloodstream sometimes. This is called endotoxin. And when you have a little bit, it can be helpful, but when you have a lot of it, it can cause quite a lot of damage. And so it's it's renowned for making its way all the way to the brain and actually destructing so that other chemicals can get into the brain um and yeah so there was one study which showed that caffeine independently um can help to repair the blood-brain barrier and i think that it also repairs gut permeability as well yeah um so so (laughs) so i think uh when you were talking about the patients coming out from the hospital Mm -hmm. um i think that maybe some of the benefits that they saw also was maybe to do with the caffeine actually restoring the the leaky gut. I'm not sure, but um, but yeah. So these are the, it's important to note that everything that I just spoke about is independent of coffee, independent of the antioxidants and everything like that. So I would imagine that if you're taking it in a in a drink, for instance, tea or you know mate or something, you're getting uh you're getting probably better than just the caffeine. Um, and then finally, I said one more, but this is just one more. So, um, it's been shown that caffeine, uh, independently can increase, um, both mitochondrial biosynthesis and metabolism in skeletal muscle. So this would 
fall in line with what we were talking about earlier about how it does seem to increase the rate of metabolism. So it makes your skeletal muscle build more mitochondria, which means that you can use them um, more. You can get stronger, which is really good. And it means that increases the rate by which your muscles use fuel, which is also really good because you want to build really strong muscles and have a good body composition. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, loads of fun facts there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm That's pretty amazing. That's uh, I had no idea. Like you, like you were saying, caffeine has been so demonized. Like the one thing you always hear about caffeine is that, oh, yeah, well, it causes, you know, it makes your adrenals. Um, pump out adrenal hormone and it makes you have like a stress response and all that kind of stuff. But obviously there's a lot more to the picture than just uh, like caffeine is bad because it sounds yeah, from that, what you're saying, it's really good. They try and scare you with these tales of young boys who drink tons of Red Bull and stay up all night playing Call of Duty and <laughs> yeah. end up in the hospital because they had too yeah. much caffeine. I mean, that can happen. Yeah. You can't overdose on caffeine. It may be the red dye in the Red Bull yeah. that's actually yeah. causing that, as Doug had said earlier, about additives. Yeah, it seems to be yeah, the, I mean, the toxicity range is like three grams of caffeine. And I think per oh. cup you get like 150 milligrams or something. So I think it would be fairly difficult to overdose on the caffeine. Now, all of that said, like there is clearly an individual response to this because some people just do not go well with caffeine and i've mm. anecdotally i've spoken to people who have said that when um that basically they couldn't tolerate coffee and then mm. when they um when they started sorting out their diet and their lifestyle and they sorted sort of supporting their liver with some supportive herbs like some milk thistle and they had higher quality proteins and things in their diets that they started to be able to tolerate it more. So I think it's right. it whether you tolerate caffeine or not, one, it's probably due to your gen- genetics. Like, are you a slow metabolizer of it? And if you are, then maybe you will never be able to tolerate it very well. Or it might be due, is your liver overburdened? So yeah. Yeah. is that enzyme in your liver, is it, is it, is it basically too overburdened with all of the other toxins that you're not able to clear that caffeine fast enough? Now, one thing in this instance, I actually um, spoke to one of my colleagues and she, she said that when she quit smoking, when she was a smoker, um, she could tolerate coffee. She used to drink it all the time and she felt fine. And then when she stopped smoking, um, she can no longer tolerate the, the caffeine. Yeah. And so um so I looked into it and it turns out that the the enzyme that is responsible for me- metabolizing the 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 coffee this CYP1A2 um that's also upregulated by smoking tobacco. So mm. if you're a smoker then what it means is most likely you can probably tolerate coffee more than if you weren't a smoker because it yeah. increases the metabolism of that coffee. So, yeah, there's uh, there's probably so many individual variables there. Um, so I don't want to seem like I'm recommending, hey, you know, everyone just go out and drink loads of coffee. It's, you know, if you if you if you can drink it, don't feel guilty for drinking it because there are tons of benefits. But if you don't drink it, then, you know, just it's not the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. I actually had read that that with the, the, the coffee thing that people who are who smoke actually will clear the caffeine three hours faster mm-hmm. than those who don't. 
So I was pretty fascinated. Wow. By yeah. And that's that may be why um <laughs> that may be why having chocolate, coffee, and a cigarette all at the same time <laughs> is, <laughs> is so highly good. recommended. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, it, it, I guess it's interesting that it does seem to be sort of an individual thing because, you know, when we did our show on smoking, it seemed like the same thing. It is like, although there's all these kinds of different benefits from it, there definitely are certain people who just can't do it. So it's it's kind of funny. Yeah. Well, one of the chatters asked if they should drink loads of coffee then. <laughs> And I just want to reiterate, that's not what I'm recommending. I don't think any of us think that you should drink loads of coffee. Um, I think, you know, one or two cups is probably good. <laughs> you know, yeah. most of the therapeutic benefit comes from like 300 milligrams. So 300 milligrams. I mean, there are some studies which show something crazy like 200 milligrams per kg body weight or like 50 milligrams whoa, per whoa. kg body weight. But I don't think that you'd want to go there. Um, oh, my just, God. Just in case. You know? yeah. <laughs> well, I think a lot of it also comes down to, um, you know, I think that it's one of those things where it's kind of like it, it can be very good for you and stuff, but then some people tend to get a reliance on it. And maybe that's where you need to kind of start to draw the line. Like if you are like 100% dependent on caffeine just to get on with your day, like maybe maybe there's something else going on there that you need to kind of take a look at. Um you know, it, it, I, I don't know if it, that's a good thing to be like dependent on it just to be able to function versus using it kind of therapeutically. I don't know. Babe, what do you think, Elliot? What do you think, Elliot? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I did what you mm-hmm. did, um, like an experiment to to see whether whether there is that dependence. Like, if you if you feel like you need it. And then if you go without it, you start getting sort of withdrawal symptoms. That's not a good sign. That means that you probably shouldn't be drinking it right now. Like there's probably some other stuff. You probably got blood sugar dysregulation and stuff. You should probably Mm -hmm. start testing your blood sugars for one, because if you're having such a bad response to that, then there's a possible chance that you're having like a hypoglycemia or something like that in the morning when you're waking up. And that I'd say that's more of a symptom of something much more fundamental than mm-hmm. the coffee and so i think a lot of the time like i mean like dr ax was saying if i think ca- coffee becomes a scapegoat sometimes mm-hmm. i think it's easy to blame things on the coffee and not actually dig into the fundamental sort sort of more root cause of the issue because it may be that you're one of those people who just can't metabolize it, but if you are having a bad reaction to that, or if you feel like you're dependent on it, then the chances are then you've got some blood sugar management issues or, you know, maybe pre-diabetes or something crazy like that. So you should probably start looking into that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And, you know, if, you, if you're feeling like that. And then someone, someone uh, another chatter said, just asked about caffeine allergies. And so that yeah. is actually that does seem to be the case now, doesn't it? What that there is a caffeine, there allergy? Is a caffeine allergy? Well, no, not not caffeine allergy. Sorry, um, it seems that there's cross reactivity going uh, on. With, with yeah, the, I don't know yeah, if you can blame that on the caffeine though, because my understanding is that that it's it's more like the the, the source the of your caffeine, of caffeine that, that you're actually, that you're actually allergic, to. allergic to. 
Yeah, it, yeah, there was um so yeah, it was talking about how um in the it's it's the it's the instant coffee. I think it's mm. the way that it's processed, it can act to mimic gluten um yeah. in the gut and, and the the immune system can pick it up and essentially treat it as if it was gluten and so someone could be on a gluten diet a gluten free diet. Um and much like a dairy product, the body, the immune system can can identify that as similar to gluten. Uh, it seems to be the case with processed coffee, but that that wasn't the case for um, for high quality um, roasted coffee. Mm. You know, uh, beans. You know, like if you make it in a cafetiere, if it's high quality and you grind your own beans and things, then that didn't seem to be a problem for the for the cross reactivity it just seemed to be when there was um when it was that instant stuff i don't think anyone's recommending to drink that no (laughs) yeah i I had read actually a similar thing about dairy as well like some people who who get that cross reactivity with with uh, dairy products it tends to be the more processed ones i don't know i don't know how much uh truth there is to that like if somebody was to eat you know raw dairy if that would not cause that cross reactivity, but I mean, dairy's got its own issues anyway. So, on that note, just slightly to go off a little bit off track, um, I noticed recently. I, I just this is completely unrelated to coffee, but I guess you could say it was related to coffee because people have milk in their coffee. Um, <laughs> uh, I recently tried to have some um, some sheep's products. So I got some sheep's yogurt. Um, it's like got nothing added to it, and the sheep's are completely grass-fed. And the yogurt that I had, um, I had absolutely no issues with it whatsoever. Whereas the goats, the goat's yogurt or the cow's yogurt, it just absolutely um, demolishes my digestive tract. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. is that something to do with what they're fed? You know, or is there? I, I don't know. That's, that's completely off topic. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> More experiments are necessary. I think um, if if we were going to make any kind of uh, across the board sort of um, suggestion when it comes to coffee and stuff, I think if somebody is sick and they're trying to get to the bottom of things and they're eliminating things from their diet, maybe it's a good idea to kind of cut out um, coffee uh, for a while at least to kind of, until you can kind of get to the bottom of things and figure out what's going on and then maybe reintroduce it. Because it does seem like there's a lot of benefits to the caffeine from what Elliot's saying, but at the same time, it can be problematic for some people. So I think maybe like just general advice is that if you are trying to heal, it's probably a good idea to cut it out, at least for a while. Um, and then maybe add it back in and see, you know, see how, how you react to it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's good advice. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, because it is it is it is kind of like a drug, you know. Uh, you have to use mm. it wisely, mm. um, and you have to. So I I find that maybe like a month or two months or even three months without coffee, uh, and then try and reintroduce it and see how how and try different things as well. Have it with you know before breakfast and then after breakfast and see if it affects you in that way um and clearly you know it does cause issues for some people 
especially if they are suffering from like you know what Dr. Axe would call adrenal fatigue or whatever even if it's not adrenal fatigue if there's some sort of dysregulation with your blood sugar with your circadian rhythm with your diet with your if you've got some nutrient deficiencies or something then like because it's a I guess if you're going to look at it as if it's a drug I mean it can have some negative effects so you've got to be mm-hmm. clever with it but ultimately you know it has been accused of things which aren't necessarily true you know so mm-hmm. yeah do we want okay. to do a pet segment it's about uh, coffee and pets somehow <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good okay hello and welcome to the pet health segment of the health and wellness show This week I would like to share with you an interesting and curious fact that involves coffee. According to Guinness World Records, two oldest cats ever, Cream Puff, aged 38 years, and Grandpa, aged 34 years, belong to the same person, Jake Perry of Austin, Texas. These two cats were of different breeds, but the common denominator appears to be the unusual diet. Listen to this. Apparently, Jake Perry fed them with bacon and eggs, asparagus, broccoli, and coffee with heavy cream. Apparently, Perry had other cats as well, and we don't know how long they lived. But the fact that he had two cats that lived that long leads us to conclude that he must have done something right. Was it the diet or the combination of things? Who knows? Here, listen to the news report about him and his Sphinx cat grandpa. Is the oldest cat that ever lived. Is it A, 34 years old, B, 33 years old, or C, 32 years old? The correct answer is A, 34 years old. His name fittingly was Grandpa, and when he was born in 1964, LBJ was president. The Beverly Hillbillies was the number one TV show. And the Beatles' I Want to Hold Your Hand was the country's number one song. Jake Perry of Austin, Texas was Grandpa's owner. Grandpa was a Rex Sphinx, a distinctive and nearly hairless breed of cat. But it was age that set him apart and made him a cat world hero. What does Jake attribute Grandpa's longevity to? The love, the care, and the checkups. And the food. The food? Now, wait a minute. Here's what Grandpa ate every morning of his life for breakfast, along with a cup of Folgers coffee, regular please, not decaf. Bacon, eggs, broccoli, and mayonnaise. Now, it is true in his later years, Jake switched Grandpa to egg beaters and fake bacon. They lived in this modest house with Jake's wife and about 20 other cats. But only Grandpa liked to venture out on Jake's daily rounds. He liked to ride in the truck. And he would like to see the green lights, cars, sceneries. When Grandpa finally died this April, he was 34, or 238 in cat years. Jake gave Grandpa a burial with full honors. First came a memorial service, complete with funeral music, in which Jake's other cats paid their respects. He was then laid out in a kitty casket and buried in Jake's backyard with a headstone and all. 
I miss him. Feel bad. And it hurts. But don't feel too sorry for Jake just yet. First of all, he has a hairless kitten named Cowboy, who is Grandpa's great-great-grandson and has already shown the same dietary tastes. Cowboy is beginning to eat what Grandpa ate and beginning to lap a little coffee. Long as the cream is poured in. And Jake has another cat who has a shot at breaking Grandpa's record. Her name is Cream Puff. And according to Jake, she just turned 29 years young. Aww. Those are some coffee-drinking goats. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty crazy. And and the funny thing is too is that it was like Folgers crystals, <laughs> and then he, he switched them to egg beaters and fake bacon. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe kind of it goes against everything we care. talk about here. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that. Maybe it's more taking her taking him for car rides. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, have we learned everything we need to know about caffeine. For now. <laughs> well, Elliot said he's got about two hundred more studies he could tell us, but. Uh, I think we're good for now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't bore anyone. <laughs> well, thanks everybody. I think that's our show. Thanks to all our chatters. Uh, be sure to tune in to the SOT Radio Network's uh, show on Sunday. And thanks to our hosts. Have a good day. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.